With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello and welcome to the 10th edition of the Fortsanopoli Worldwide Series. This is a series all about our fans. As you know, I'm convinced that we have the best fans in the world, so I wanted to give our fans all over the world a chance to speak their minds, and this way you, the listeners, can hear some opinions and viewpoints different than my own. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you once again for listening. We're heading back to the UK today. The last time we were in the UK, we were in Newcastle to speak to our friend Antonio Mango. Today's guest is also from Newcastle, but he's currently in Manchester, Jonathan Besford, who you might know from Twitter as Jonathan Yaya or Jonathan underscore SAFC. Welcome to Fort Sinopoli. Yeah, welcome, Joe. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Uh, I normally record the worldwide episodes after our latest match, so we're going to do something a little bit different today. We're recording this episode on Thursday. It probably won't publish until Friday or Saturday. So instead of reviewing our latest match, we're going to preview our upcoming one which is a pretty important game against Inter. But of course, as always, I always like to start with our guest story. You actually have two stories you're going to share with us. So let's start with how a young lad from North London, originally, before you moved to Manchester, uh, became a Napoli fan. Yeah, so basically, um, I'm probably just like every other lad and girl from England. Grew up watching Serie A on Channel 4 between 92 and 2002. My older brother, he obviously loved it as well. He came a Sampdoria fan, so he picked Sampdoria. Whereas me, I was more like the, how do you say, the more the casual fan. I would just watch the games. I didn't really pick a team. So then obviously I kept watching it, watching it. And I loved Serie A, always loved it. I, I always thought it was the best league in the world at one point. And I hopefully, hopefully we'll get to that point again. But it got to about the mid-2000s, probably about 2007, where I thought to myself, right, I don't really want to be a casual fan anymore. Maybe I need to pick a team. 
So then I just started doing some research, like looking into history of teams, etc. Because what it is, I didn't want to be a fan of the so-called powerhouses, Milan, Inter, Juve. Didn't really want to be one of them fans because obviously people didn't say, oh, you jumped on the bandwagon. So I wanted to get a team that was similar to my team in England, Sunderland. So where I'm from in Sunderland is a um, passionate fan base, really passionate about football, love the football. We have 50,000 seat stadium. We have um, a really good history as well. History-wise, six times champions of England, two FA Cups. So I sort of was like looking along them lines. So I ended up coming across Napoli. And obviously, at that time, they had Levetsi. And then obviously, he was one of my favourite players that I watched in Argentina for San Lorenzo. So I thought, OK, I'll look into Napoli. So then uh, I started doing my research into Napoli. And uh, I thought, right, Napoli was what I was looking for in terms of the fan base. Because obviously, Naples is a passionate area for football. They also had a sort of similar trajectory like Sunderland in terms of they were in the top flight. And then because of mismanagement of financials in the club, they ended up going down the leagues like Sunderland have. Both have history of winning the Scudetto. We've won the league. And uh, the one that really stood out for me was the fact that I think it was in Serie C. They had 51,000 for one match. And I thought, right, it has to be Napoli because it's like Sunderland three years ago in League One against Bradford City. We had 48,000 for a League One match, which is unheard of. I think the record before that was like Man City, I think it was, was 32,000. So we completely smashed it. So I thought, right, Napoli's my team. So then I started following Napoli from the 2007 season. But I wouldn't say I was a hardcore fan. I was still more the, the casual fan. It wasn't until like the last two, three seasons where I took it more serious and I've gotten more into it. That's basically how I came an Napoli fan, just by watching Serie A and thinking, right, I just need to pick a team. That, that's basically all this. Nothing spectacular, nothing like... Because I was thinking about it, like, everyone else that you've had so far, Antonio, Joey, <laughs> uh, Darren, that lives in Italy now, they've all got family that are from Italy. <laughs> so I was thinking, oh, maybe I just need to blag it and say I've got someone from Italy. But no, nah, I thought I'd just be honest. That's just basically it, just... Doing my research, picking a team, picking a team that's close to my team in England, Sunderland, and Napoli was close. So obviously, and then I picked Napoli. And obviously, I've been lucky in that time. So obviously, I've seen some great players: Levetsi, Marek Hamsik, Edison Cavani, Lorenzo Insigne, Koulibaly, which we'll get onto. <laughs> so that's basically it, mate. That's basically how I came a Napoli fan. And that listen, that's still a great story. I, I'm glad you didn't feel like you had to you know, make up a fake relative or something. <laughs> but one thing about Napoli that that comes across loud and clear in these interviews and also in, you know, stories you read about the city in general, not just about the football club, is that it's a very welcoming city. Everybody's welcome. It doesn't matter where you're from. And, and I think that's a big reason why we're able to bring in players like Osiman from Nigeria, Lozano from Mexico, when we have an international break, we usually have 12, 13 players going out on international duty and they're representing only three of them are Italian and the rest are from all over the place. Right. So I think that's something that's very appealing about Napoli. It's very interesting. The, the comparison to Sunderland that I didn't know about that story um, with Sunderland's attendance in the third division. I knew about it with Napoli and Sedi Chi. So that's, that's really cool as well. You mentioned Koulibaly who, if he wasn't already your favorite player, uh, he definitely is now. Why don't you tell us about your recent encounter with him? Yes. Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> so basically, I got a, I bought a Koulibaly shirt, and I was just sitting there one day, and I thought to myself, you know what it is? 
I'm a new Muslim. I'm a Muslim. I thought I just messaged Kudabali on a tweet asking if he would sign my shirt. So I just, so I, I think you've seen the tweet. I just put Assalamualaikum Kudabali. I was hoping you could sign my shirt. Then uh, obviously people started to like it, retweet it. Then about I think it was about two, three hours later, I got a private message on Twitter. So I was running around my house like, oh, he's, he's gone back to me. My wife was like, what are you screaming? I was like, oh, Kuli Bali's gone back to me. And uh, he was just basically saying, yeah, I'll sign the shit. No problem. He asked for my name, address, phone number. So um, I give him it. We had a bit of a conversation. And I waited 10 days and I hadn't heard nothing. So I thought, and I was lying in bed and I went to my wife. Oh, I think I need to message him because I think he might have forgot. And uh, so I was walking. So the next day I went to work. Walking to work, I sent him a message. And then, funny enough, he actually got back to me the same day. And he goes, oh, he goes, yeah, sorry. He goes, I totally forgot. I was on international duty with Senegal, and I totally forgot. And I said, oh, that's fine. Obviously, you're a footballer, busy, international duty, Senegal, coming back to Italy. I could understand. And um, he goes, don't worry. He goes, I'll definitely send it tomorrow. I'll send it. Then uh, I got a text message the same night, actually, the same night saying, oh, you've got a parcel coming from Napoli. I mean, from Naples. And I'm like, oh, it has to be from Koulibaly. I've not ordered anything that's from Italy, so it has to be him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So then two days later, it came from FedEx. FedEx delivered it. It came. And my five-year-old daughter ran upstairs. Hence the picture, because I'm still in bed. <laughs> and uh, my daughter ran up with it. She goes, oh, Dan, look, someone's come for you. So I was like, oh, it's got to be the top. So when I opened it, it was the sign shit. I was like, oh. Brilliant. I mean, what a, what a gift. I can't ask for anything better, really. And then, obviously, because he privately messaged me, I was thinking to myself, oh, maybe he doesn't want me to post the picture of me with the signed shirt. So I messaged him privately again, asking him, like, would it be okay if I can post the picture of the signed shirt on my Twitter feed? Because, obviously, I'd, what I didn't want was to post it, and he gets bombarded with loads of messages. It's not what I wanted. So I thought I'd, I'd do the right thing and ask him. Then obviously he says, yeah, it's fine. You can post it. So obviously then I post it and obviously I got a lot of likes, retweets, which was good. But it was just more the the, the fact that he actually sent it. And it was just like absolutely amazing. So like, I didn't think he would get back to me. I genuinely just thought it's a long shot, but I'll just try it, see what happens. But the fact that he got back to me, I was just like, so yes, man. And now I'm trying to find a frame for the shit. I need to get a frame for it and get it framed and hung up somewhere. That's basically how it came. Just, just sitting there thinking, I'm just going to ask him, why not? Yeah, I mean, I love that story as well. Um, you sent me the uh, screenshot of the text convo when he first responded, which I obviously didn't share it with anyone, but I was blown away. I, I couldn't believe it. You know, it's his handle. It's got the little verified check beside it. So it's him. Uh, you know, you're speaking to literally a club legend and he's a legend both on and off the pitch as this story suggests, right? And I genuinely think he just does this because he's a good person. You know, we're giving him publicity for it, but he certainly never asked for the publicity. I mean, a few months ago, he was caught on camera, you know, handing out coats in the middle of winter um, to people in need in Napoli. And, and it was the same thing. If you scoured through his social media, you would not have found a single word that he was going to do this, right? So he's not doing this for just the glory of it. He's just doing it because he's a good guy and, and he likes to help people. And so, yeah, this guy, if he wasn't already a club legend, which he was, we know that he's cemented that. Um, we talk a lot about on this show about how we cannot let this guy leave under no circumstances. And, and the more I see stories like this, the the more I don't want him to leave. 
let's move on to talk about the entire match. Both of these teams are coming into this match in fine form. If the season started on January 1st of this year, Inter would be top of the table with 41 points, Atalanta would be second on 38 points, Juve would be third on 35 points, and then Napoli would be fourth on 34 points. Inter have won 11 straight games. They're unbeaten in their last 14 matches, and during that run, they actually have nine clean sheets. For me, what's made the difference for this team is that goals against record, especially of late. Uh, You might recall, Jonathan, earlier in the season, Inter were conceding quite a few goals. Uh, They dropped points in four of their first seven matches, but since then, they've played 23 matches, and they've only dropped points in three of them. So in triple the, the number of games, they've dropped points in still fewer games. We've been in decent form ourselves lately. We have six wins in our last eight matches. It should have been seven wins if not for that last-minute penalty against Sassuolo. So before we get to the starting lineups, do you have any just sort of general thoughts about this match and about Inter heading into this one? To be finished, I'm actually quite confident for Sunday. I actually actually think we'll beat Inter Milan. For me, the next two weeks are huge for Napoli. We've got Inter this week and obviously Lazio next week. And Atalanta have got Juve and Roma. And for me personally, I think the last spot's got to come down to Napoli and Atalanta. So these two games are massive. And I'm 100% confident we'll win on Sunday. I really do. Really confident. Um, a home record against Inter since 2010 is actually really impressive. We've got eight wins, five draws and only two losses. So obviously, I'm very confident. And plus, we've got the second best home record in the league. I think there's only, I think it was, who is it? I think it's Inter ahead of us. And we're joint second with Udinese with 14 goals conceded. I don't see many goals. I don't see many goals, but I, I think 1-0. I generally think we'll win 1-0. Okay. Yeah, interesting. I, we'll we'll come back to the predictions in just a bit, but let's go through the lineups. We'll start with Napoli's, and maybe the way we'll do this is uh, I'll let you give me your starting eleven, and we can just go by department. So let's start with the easy one. Who do you have starting in goal? Uh, I've got Merritt starting. Yeah. Well, has to be because uh, I'm sure you saw the reports that Ospina got hurt this week. For those who don't know, he's probably going to be out for three to four weeks. So that one's a little bit of a no-brainer. The back four is a little bit harder, I guess you could say, maybe at one or two positions. What do you have as your back four for this match? So at right back, I've got Di Lorenzo. Yep. Left back, I've got Mario Rui. It's the centre-backs that I was trying to think, who do I put alongside Koulibaly? And I just went with Manolos. I just went Manolos. I thought, I'd just stick with him, just because he wasn't too bad against Sampdoria. So I thought, OK, I'll just keep the back four. Same, don't change. Just keep the back four. Get that continuity. Just... Keep it in it. There's no point in changing it. They kept a clean sheet. Just keep the back four as it is. Yeah, that's so that's the same back four that I have. Koulibaly obviously must start. Di Lorenzo must start. I have Koulibaly and Manolas as the starting centre-back pairing. Maybe Rachmani gets a start over Manolas, but I think that's a long shot, especially against a big club. I think he didn't play when we were on short rest. Um, I believe that was the Juve game. But I think that's more because Manolas is still recovering from that ankle injury. We saw how long it took for Mertens to recover from his ankle injury. And most people that you speak to that have had this injury, it takes a long time to heal. So I think that's just sort of load management with Manolas. So since he's had a week off, I think he gets to start again. For me, the big question is, who do you start at left back? And I agree with Mario Rui. He saw I had an awful game against Sampdoria. 
Mario Rui is a little bit quicker, and we'll get to Inter's lineup in a little bit, but whoever plays at left back has a tough matchup against Ashraf Hakimi, so that's why I have Mario Rui in there. Let's move to the midfield. Who do you have playing in the double pivot? Okay, so this has got to cause controversy. So basically, basically I've dropped Fabian. I've got Diego Demi as a defensive midfielder. Because I believe that he's not the better player, but I think in terms of defensive role, he's better than Fabian. And I've got Selinski in there as well. That's my team midfield. That's my midfield, yeah. Okay, so I think that's... That's a little bit of a hint of who you're going to have up top. I'm going probably the more traditional uh, route, I guess you can say, or at least more consistent with what we've seen from Gattuso, which would be Diego Demme and Fabian Ruiz. Thankfully, Demme stayed out of the official's book against Sampdoria because he's on a suspension. He's got four yellow cards, so had he picked up a yellow in that match, he would have missed this game. We still need to keep an eye on that because if he picks up a yellow in this match, he'll miss the game against Lazio, which is another big one. For me, Fabian has to start. I just think he's been too good since he returned from COVID. I fully understand why you would put Zielinski there, because I think it feels like you're going with an approach that tries to get Mertens and Osimhen both on the field together. But for me, I think Fabian, he's coming off a game where he scored. It was the game winner. He was the man of the match in that game. So I'm going to give it to him. Let's move to that front four. I think we've kind of given it away now, but who do you have playing? Yes, I've got Insigne, Politano, Mertens, and Osiman. See, the reason I've I've dropped Fabian, because like I said, obviously Demi, I think defence is better. But like I said, I wanted to get Mertens in there because he proved it. Like, against Sampdoria, Osiman was making all them runs in behind. No one really played him in. Then when Mertens came on, straight away, that pass, and he got the goal from it. For me, we need to get Mertens in. And I, I didn't want to drop Fabian, but I thought I don't really want to drop Zelensky as well because Zelensky offers you that range of passing as well. So I thought, I, honestly, someone needs to get sacrificed. And for me, it's Fabian, unfortunately. Yeah, completely understandable. It's a perfectly logical approach. For me, I mean, again, the wingers are no-brainers. Insignia is going to start on the left wing. Lozano is suspended for this match, so that is why you have Politano playing on the right wing. For me, the tough part was deciding the other two. You can have either Osman or Mertens in the 9, and either Mertens or Zielinski in the 10. And that's where I was I was really struggling, because if we start with the number 9, we know that Gattuso prefers to use Mertens in these situations, um, presumably because of his experience. We saw him do that against Juventus, but I still want to see Osman play there. I want to see him get a shot. But at the same time, I'm also concerned because Juve played a very aggressive game and that creates more space for Osman to run. And, and when he has space, that's when he does his most damage. Whereas we'll get into, into tactics a bit later, but Inter plays a bit of a more conservative style. They look to play on the counter for the most part. So I think it's going to be harder for Osman to get that space against three big center backs. So I wouldn't be shocked to see Mertens get the start again, but I'm still going to put Osman in there and hope that maybe because Mertens didn't exactly do a whole lot against Juve that Osman gets his shot here. Then the question becomes, okay, does Mertens play in the 10 with Osman or do we put Zielinski there? And I just decided to go with Zielinski because I don't think you can take him off for this this game. And I think one way to resolve uh, your concerns, Jonathan, is that while, yes, we want to try to squeeze everybody in there, 
if things are not working, we have that flexibility to make some changes on the bench, like we saw against Sampdoria, where Gattuso made some changes. Or sorry, he I guess he left. I can't remember now who started, but Merton started at the 9, and rather than taking him out, he moved him back to the 10. So there's, there's a lot of different options when we start getting into substitutions. Uh, let me quickly go through who I think Inter will start. They have a pretty straightforward lineup. It helps that Conte doesn't really like to rotate a whole lot, especially when we're playing only once a week. So that makes their lineup a little bit easier to predict. They typically line up in a 3-5-2, or you can even call it a 3-4-1-2 if you think Eriksen is a trequartista, though he does tend to play a little bit deeper. Samir Handanovic will start in goal. Stefan Devry, Alessandro Bastoni, and Milan Skriniar make up the back three. There's a little bit of uncertainty at wingback. Even Perisic has really grown into the left wingback role, but he's also missed the last couple of matches with a muscle injury. Ashley Young filled in, and he's played quite well lately, so I think we'll see Conte roll with Young and then perhaps bring in Perisic off the bench, especially if Inter need a goal. Conte almost always uh, replaces his wingbacks at some point, so we'll probably see substitutions at that position. On the right side, we should see Ashraf Hakimi start He's well-rested after Matteo Darmian started against Cagliari. And we should also see Christian Eriksen in the center of the midfield with Marcelo Brozovic to his left and Nicolo Barella to his right. Barella will also be well-rested, which is bad news for us because even when he's not rested, he does not stop running. So now he gets to run while he's rested. Likewise, Lautaro Martinez is well-rested after Alexis Sanchez started against Cagliari. So I think we're going to see the most lethal strike duo in Serie A up top with Lautaro and Romelu Lukaku. Jonathan, any thoughts on that Inter starting lineup before we move to our keys to the match? Yeah. <laughs> For me, it's, it's how do you stop Lukaku Martinez? Because um, I was listening to a podcast the other day from Chloe Beresford, and she actually put a stat on that, saying that Lukaku Martinez, they've scored 52% of Inter's goals. So for me, it's, it's about how do you keep them too quiet? Because Lukaku, man, he's, he's just a totally different animal. Totally different compared to the Premier League. Completely different. And, like, I have to hold my hands up like he's proved me wrong. Absolute border at the moment. As someone from Manchester, what's the general feeling over there? You know, are, are United fans talking about Lukaku and how he's doing at Inter? Is that a thing? To be honest, mate, I couldn't even tell you. Because I'm not a Man United fan. No, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Mate, I, honestly, I couldn't tell you. There's actually not been that much talk about him, if I'm being honest. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he has shut up a lot of people, like pundits like Gary Neville, etc. Because, you know, they all talk rubbish. Saying, oh, he's, he's just a one type of striker, blah, 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 all that. He can't hold the ball up, blah, 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 all that rubbish. But f- for me, he's proved them all wrong. He's proved that he can mm-hmm. hold the ball up. To be fair, I think the one thing I think people will probably say is that in England, he wasn't as in greater shape as he is now in Italy. I think in Italy, he looks completely different. I mean, he looks leaner, he looks bigger, he looks stronger. He even said that himself, I think, that he feels better since he's been in Italy. So I probably think that's the, probably the only thing, really, that people have noticed is his physique. He's gotten better physically. And that's probably about it. No one's... It's hard to say, to be honest, mate. No one's really... No one's really speaking about him. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess I guess if you're wrong, you probably just don't want to bring it up. But it's got to be the semolina flour in Italy. That's the key with the pasta. You use semolina flour, and the Italians just don't gain weight, apparently. But no, I mean, I think we got to give Antonio Conte a little bit of credit for that. I mean, 
to have this team clicking the way he does, using players to get the best out of them, the physical conditioning. And I don't remember Inter's head of training. I know Nima Tavali, who runs the Sempre Inter website, recently posted about their trainer and, and how much he's done for this Inter team, especially when you look at the number of injuries that the teams across Serie A have had. Inter seem to be on the lower end, if not the lowest. And they certainly haven't really had any spells like we've had where half of our team is injured. And I think that's a big reason for their success. So, yeah, I mean, that strike duo is pretty dangerous. Obviously, they score a lot of goals. I'm a little bit concerned about Ashraf Hakimi. But before I get to that, do you have any other points you want to make on that? or? Yeah, just one thing. Actually, going back to the the physical side of Lukaku. I know back in the 90s when people from England went over to Italy, like Paul Enns, David Platt, I remember vividly them saying that the training, the terms of how they eat was completely different in Italy and it was actually a lot better. Whereas in England, they still had that culture of like drinking, smoking. Mm-hmm. It wasn't seen as serious. In terms of that, I think you have to give Italy credit. They've always been a country known for its, its physical side of the game. Because I remember... Everyone knows Paolo Di Canio. I mm-hmm. remember when he came to my team in England, Sunderland. I remember when he came to Sunderland and he tried to bring that philosophy into Sunderland and the players ended up going against him because he tried to ban like tomato ketchup and stuff like that. And the players didn't like it. And obviously he was saying like, this is just how it is in Italy. We're, we're more stricter in terms of what we put in our bellies and stuff. I actually like that. And I think that's why they're so good. And, and it's been proved now with Lukaku. Look at him completely changed yeah and we've seen you know a lot of people kind of slag on Serie because they they say oh look all these older guys leave the EPL and they're they're killing it in Serie and there's a bunch of them on Inter we mentioned Lukaku Erickson is now doing well he just needed to start playing he wasn't playing enough before Ashley Young has fared quite well but maybe that's what it is right maybe it's a different approach I imagine nowadays even clubs in England probably are a bit more scientific with the approach. But I saw a picture of Lukaku the other day, and the guy looks like uh, like he has 0% body fat. You know what I mean? So, and, and part of the credit has to go to the player as well for having that commitment. And, and I'm sure he's motivated by the fact that he's having success. He's scoring a ton of goals. He, he had a great season last season. He's continued that this season. Everything seems to be clicking. He's on the verge of winning a, a Scudetto. So... Might as well keep on doing that because it's working. In terms of this match specifically, I know you're a big fan of our three keys to the match. So I wanted to give you an opportunity to provide some of the keys uh, to the match that you think things that we need to do to walk away with the result here. Okay, so my first key, and it's probably the obvious one to be fair, is that we need to be switched on at the back at all times. Because unfortunately in games, we always seem to have that moments of lapse and teams come back in and score like Crotoni did. Against Inter, we need to be on it because obviously the Conte likes to play that 3 5 2, then it goes to the 4 2 4 when they break on the counter. So obviously they break with pace. And that's one thing that worries me because against Juventus, whenever they broke on us on the counter, they were just breaking in numbers and we just could not keep up with them. And that's the one issue I got with the midfield as well with Demi and Fabian is that they're not the quickest and now they're going to be able to keep up that kind of pace because Inter are rapid on the break. Like you said, because they've got Akra Fakimi. Ashley Young, even though he's old, he's still got pace. Lukaku's quick. Martinez is quick. 
So that's my first key, so that we have to be switched on at all times at the back. My second one is, um, I reckon we're going to have most of the ball. I think Inter are going to sit back and play on the counter. I think that's the game they're going to do. It's the sort of game Conte likes to play. He did against Sampdoria, even at home, and they still won. For me, we need to be patient on the ball. We can't force the passes. If it's not there, just keep playing it, but sip the passes. Don't make it slow. It needs to be quick passing, precise passing. Like we did against Sampdoria, like those triangles we're doing, and we're making spaces for the overlaps. For me, that's what we need to do. Because the one way I've got is that we'll keep the ball, but we'll end up going too narrow. Because for me, Insigne and Palatano, they're quite similar. They, they like to cut in all the time. So we need the width as well. So I'm hoping that's where the wing-backs will get involved more, like we did against Sampdoria, and it worked a great effect. We always got in. But for me as well, it's the, the final ball. It needs to be better. Because against Sampdoria, we should have won that game 3-4-0, in my opinion, if the final ball was better. That's one thing we need to be sharp on against Inter because we won't get as many chances against Inter because, like you said, defensively, they're solid. They're very good. They've got the best defensive away record as well. They've only conceded 12 away goals all season. So there's not going to be many goals in this game, in my opinion. So when we do get that chance, the pass needs to be spot on. And I reckon if we can get the pass and spot on, I think we'll win. I really do. Yeah. Not only the, the passing, not only the final ball, but the finishing needs to be better as well. I mean, you mentioned that we should have scored more goals in that Sampdoria match. We had our chances. We just didn't finish them. I agree on the concerns with the counterattack and not having pace, and that makes a lot of sense then why you would put Zielinski as a bit of a deeper midfielder. But at the same time, I think that conflicts a little bit with the strategy of overlapping with our, our fullbacks or our wingbacks because that exposes us a little bit to the counterattack. And, and we've seen time and time again, especially when you know, Di Lorenzo tends to get forward more when he's playing with Politano because Politano's left-footed. He could cut in and play that overlap. But then if Di Lorenzo gets caught and Politano is the guy that has to cover for him, if he even does cover, we're very much at risk of conceding goals there. So I'm very, very concerned about that. I'm I'm concerned about Inter's wingbacks in general. I just did one key for me because I, I knew I was going to ask you for yours. And it's pretty similar to your first one. It's about defending. And I think we need to defend as a team. We talked about Hakimi and his pace. And I don't think, you know, other than Victor Osimhen and Chucky Lozano, who obviously are forwards, so they're not going to be back there uh, defending on, on Inter's right wing. But to me, they're the only players that could actually keep up with Hakimi. And what that means for me is that Koulibaly is going to have to come over and help Mario Rui as well. And now that creates a whole domino effect of players having to cover for other players. So if Koulibaly moves over to the wing to cover for Mario Rui, now either Diego Demme or Fabian have to drop back to cover for Koulibaly, which as you pointed out, probably not the guys we want defending someone like Lukaku that neither of them even though Fabian's a big body he's not the strongest player and I think both of them would get bullied by Lukaku the more realistic option I think is that the whole back line would shift over so Manolas would cover for Koulibaly Di Lorenzo would cover for Manolas and that means again back to Politano who I think is going to be a very very important player in this game he'll be the guy that has to come back and cover the left wing because if he doesn't 
we're going to be exposed to the late run on the left wing, whether that's Perisic or Ashley Young, whoever starts there. And Hakimi is a very good crosser of the ball. So I can see that type of situation where Koulibaly has to move over. Everybody shifts. It leaves Ashley Young open. Hakimi finds him with the cross to pick out the late run and Politano or Fabiano or them are late to pick that up. So that's for me, the, the big concern, unless you have any other thoughts on, on some of those comments, we can move on to the predictions. Yeah, so you were saying that you're worried about the left-hand side, for me, there's actually a stat, I've actually got it down, it's saying that most of his attacks actually come down the right-hand side, so it'll be interesting to see how they do, because apparently what's, yeah, down the right-hand side, most of it, 39% comes down the right-hand side, only 32 down the left, so it'll be interesting to see see how it goes then. Because like I agree with you, Akraf Hakimi is great player and like his pace frightens me. But he's not having the best of seasons if we're being honest compared to what he's like at Dortmund. So I think we could I think we can keep him quiet. I think we'd be okay if I'm being honest. And and those stats are when they say the right hand side, they're talking about like our our right side as opposed to the, the opponent's left side. No, they this talking about inter, so yeah, come down yeah, so be our oh, left side. Yeah, you're right. Ignore me. Yeah, so so I, so I think that does mean that. Um, so they will attack through Hakimi then. Yeah, so that's interesting. No, that's okay. We'll see. I mean, either way, I'm I'm concerned about both sides really because they kind of the, the scenario that I've kind of played out is start the attack from the right side, which then exposes us on Inter's left side. So that's definitely something we got to keep an eye out for. I I do agree that. Hakimi has not had the best season, probably below expectations if you're an Interista. But when he's on, this guy can be devastating. So I'm still concerned about that. You kind of tipped us off on your prediction a little bit. At least you, we know who you think is going to win. But I'm curious to know what you think the score will be and who you think the goal scorers will be. Yeah, I think we'll win 1-0. Like I said, I don't see many goals in this game. I think it'll be a very tight game. I'm going 1 0, and I think the goal will come from Insigne. I think it'll be one of those trademark where he cuts back in and just kills it in the corner. I think Insigne will get the winner and we'll win 1 0. But I reckon it'll be in the second half. I think it'll be 0 0 at half time, and I think it'll probably come in the last 20 minutes. But I've got a question for you, though, Joe. Like, how do you see the game going? How do you see? Do you see us sitting back, or do you see us having a lot of the ball? Do you see Inter having most of the ball? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's. I, I struggled with with predicting a score and I agree it will be nil nil at the half. I think it's going to be a very cautious approach from both sides. I don't think Inter are necessarily going to go after this match. I think they're going to be quite content to let us have more of the ball, sit back and look to strike on the counter. I released a bonus episode uh, earlier today, speaking to David Ferini of Serie A commentator. And on that episode, we talked a little bit about how lately it seems like Inter have been playing more not to lose than to win, which maybe that's a little bit of a, a harsh description of the way they played it. If we look at their last couple of matches, you know, against Cagliari, they, they were in complete control of that match. I think maybe they were a little bit too patient, at least in the first half, other than a really nice save by Cagliari's uh, young keeper, Guglielmo Vicario, who was making his Serie A debut actually in that match on Ericsson. Inter never really tested Cagliari's keeper. They did turn up the pressure in the second half, and they had quite a few chances, and then eventually Darmian scored the winner with about 15 minutes to play. It was a little bit of the reverse in Inter's prior match, which was against Sassuolo, where 
Inter were very good in the first half, and then they sat back with the lead in the second half. Ashley Young was very good in that first half. He combined with Lukaku to score a really nice goal, uh, sort of a deep header. Um, But even without a number of key players, Sassuolo dominated the second half, and Inter only got their second goal on the counterattack, of course, as we've talked about, because Sassuolo were pushing for that equalizer, so they had to expose themselves a little bit, and, and we know that Inter is so good on the counterattack. Lautaro scored that goal, and there was actually an appeal for a penalty on that play that wasn't given, but I, I haven't looked at it too closely to, to have an opinion on that. And then finally, the match before that, which was against Bologna, was pretty similar to the Cagliari match where Inter's opponent set up to defend and forced Inter to be the aggressor, which is a bit outside of their comfort zone, I think. Inter, as we talked about, they prefer to to strike on the counter, but sometimes when they play against an opponent that also sets up to counter, that forces them to play a bit more of an aggressive style, which is not really their their MO. And they play this old school Italian style, which some people might say is boring. That's been the big topic of discussion this week. I'll get your thoughts on that in a second. But to me, whether you think it's boring or not, all that matters at the end are results and it's been effective, right? So I'm expecting a conservative approach from Inter against us. And I do think it's going to be low scoring. I was going to take a 1-1 draw. And my goal scorers were going to be Insigne and Lukaku. So pretty close to yours. But actually, I'm going to go with a 0-0 draw. And maybe this ends up being the boring match that people have been talking about. But what are your thoughts on that? Do you think Inter play a quote-unquote boring game? <laughs> it's stupid. I keep hearing it all the time. I'm boring. What's boring? They're winning. They're going to win a Scudetto, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like someone said, I come who said it? One of the Napoli fans said it on Twitter, and you like the tweet. It goes, give me one nil wins every week, I'll take that as long as we win a trophy. For me, that's what football is about, it's about winning. If you're going to win a Scudetto, and then happy days, man, play boring football. But they don't play boring football. They play to their means, they play to their strengths. That's a good thing. And for me, that's what Conte does best, like you said. He plays to the strength of what he's got around him. He did it at Chelsea, so... I don't think they play ball in football. People just want to see people play like Barcelona all the time, isn't it? like that tiki-taka style football. But there's more than one way to play football. And I, I don't mind watching it, if I'm being honest. They win. That's simple as that. They win. That's what it's about, winning football games. But the thing is, though, you're going back to a draw. I think I said it to you the other day. I think I texted you yesterday saying it. I think, what was it? Inter have not drawn in nine games. We've not drawn in six games. So you're probably right. It probably will be a boring nil-nil. <laughs> Well, see, for me, what I can do is I can either say, based on the trend, I'm going off the board by picking a draw, or I can say they're due. <laughs> Who knows? We'll see. And and I don't think a draw would be a terrible result. Obviously, we want to get a win here. It's hard enough. It's probably bad enough. If there are any Interisti that are listening to this, they probably think we're crazy to pick anything other than an Inter win with the streak that they're on and the amounts of games that they've won. Back to the Inter style, I agree with you. At the end of the day, the goal is to win, you know. I think some people are equating exciting football with goals, and I've never subscribed to that view. I've I've seen some really, really entertaining nil-nil draws or or one-nil wins, right? So I don't think it's about how many goals a team scores. If you watch the way that Inter play, you know, going back to that that match against Cagliari, the way they played in that first half, some people would look at that as boring because there weren't a whole lot of chances, but it was you could see that the players were executing Conte's plan. 
they were so patient. They're moving the ball around. They're slowly creeping forward. If if they play themselves into a corner, they come back and reset and start the build up again and slowly break down their opponent. And yeah, maybe some people might might look at that as boring, but I look at it and I'm fascinated by it. And and in general, I'm I'm fascinated by football because there are different styles. There is no one right way. There can only be one winner at the end of the at the end of the season in any given league. There's only one winner of the Champions League and Sometimes it comes off, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it depends on tactics. Sometimes it depends on the players and their execution of those tactics. So I think it's a very simplistic view to just say that, oh, Inter win 1-0 game, so therefore they're a boring team to watch, right? I just going to go for another thing, though. Like, if we do draw, like you said, if we do draw, for me, if we do draw on Sunday, we have to beat Lazio. Because like I said, I think it's going to come down between us and Atalanta. So for me, we need to match or better what Atalanta do in these next two games. So if we do draw against Inter, it's not a bad result. It'll still be a good result. But that means we need to go and beat Lazio for me. I think personally we need at least four points from these next two games. Because then if you look after the running, because I think in your bonus part you did with David, he was saying as well that the running after them two games is it's actually not that difficult. Fair enough, we've got Torino away and Fiorentino away, but really we should be beating them teams and what's it, four home games left as well? If, if I just double check. Yeah, so after Lazio, we've got Torino, Calgary, Spezia, Udinese, Fiorentina, Ferrona. For me, that's actually quite a nice running. It's a nice running. So for me, if we can get four points in these next two games, I think we'll get Champions League football next season without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah, and I'd be content with three or four points. I mean, David even went down to two points between the two matches, right? So I agree. The Lazio game is the critical one. It'd be great to get points out of this one. If we beat Inter, then I think we can even potentially afford a draw or a loss to Lazio. It's not going to put us in that big of a hole. And I think it's pretty helpful that Juve play Atalanta this weekend. So points will be dropped by someone in that match, if not both of them. Which, again, if we if we lose this match, it'll still be fairly congested at the top. And, you know, you said you think it's between us and Atalanta. There are people that include Juve and Milan in, in that group as well. And to me, the way Atalanta are playing, I think they finish second because they just can't seem to stop winning right now. But yeah, it's going to be interesting. I think I'm happy that we've, we're still in it. I wish you know we were sitting in second with a big lead or obviously first. That's not the case. You know, we've talked about that sort of as nauseum with the injuries and everything, but we're, we're still there and... I guess the point I want to stress for our fans is that this is not the be-all, end-all this match. Again, we want to win it, but it's okay if we don't. So I think we'll end it there, Jonathan. Thank you so much for coming on the pod. I mentioned it earlier, but again, if you want to tell the listeners, where can they find you on social media? Yeah, uh, just want to say though, Joe, thanks for having me on, man. I I was proper nervous, (laughs) but honestly, (laughs) it was an absolute honor to be on the show, man, because you know, I love love your pod. I'm always tweeting you. Honestly, man, just thanks for having us. Honestly, absolute blast. Um, my Twitter handle is uh, Jonathan underscore SEFC. That's where you can find me if you want to follow, interact. Awesome. And and it is a lot of fun interacting with Jonathan. You can, you'll definitely get some good dialogue there. You can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5, or you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Fortsanopoly Pod. Also, keep an eye on the Raff and Raff rant account on social media as well. This was something that 
kind of started with you, Jonathan. <laughs> Last weekend, you asked us for a, a pre-match show, and we kind of scrambled together and put something uh, together for about five minutes. So uh, Rafa Rispo and Ralph Pizarro and I are working hard to bring you and all Napoli fans a pre-match, halftime, and post-match show for this Inter match as well. So keep an eye out for that. I'll be back on this podcast with another episode early next week. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre. Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting? Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.